Hi, everybody. It's Derek, and this is your Foreign Exchanges World News Roundup for Tuesday, March 7th, 2023. Uh, let's get into it. We've got a few anniversaries. On March 6, 961, the Siege of Chandax ended with a Byzantine victory and their recovery of the island of Crete. Uh, there's a whole piece on this at the website. Uh, just the, to make a long story short, uh, the Byzantines lost Crete uh, in the 9th century and then spent about 130 years very angry that they had lost it. Uh, it was a base uh, was used as by Arabs and Muslims uh, as a base for piracy and raiding and you know all kinds of things that were really uh, quite irritating to the Byzantine Empire, which at this point was was uh, really dependent on its maritime control of the Aegean uh, and in the Eastern Mediterranean and uh, losing Crete threatened that quite a bit. Uh, so they were very eager to get it back. They finally did in 961 and they held on to it until the Fourth Crusade in 1205 when the Latins, uh, the Latin Crusaders briefly took over the Byzantine Empire uh, among the many other depredations uh, that they did to the empire. They sold uh, the island of Crete to Venice uh, so it would uh, it would remain in Venetian hands until the Ottomans took it much later on, uh, but it was out of imperial control from that point on. Uh, in on March seventh, fifteen seventy three, the fourth speaking of the Ottomans, the fourth Ottoman Venetian War ended with an Ottoman victory. Uh, the treaty left uh, the hitherto Venetian island of Cyprus under Ottoman control. Uh, this war is best remembered for the fifteen seventy one naval battle of Lepanto, which was a miraculous. Uh, victory by the Holy League, a resounding, surprising victory uh, that sent shockwaves throughout Christian Europe. Uh, but the fact of the matter is that the Ottomans did win the war. <laughs> they won Cyprus. Uh, Lepanto came after, in fact, that they had uh, secured uh, control of the last remaining Venetian city on Cyprus. Uh, so at the time, uh, Lepanto proved to be a, a somewhat significant uh, in the long run. But at the time, the Ottomans were very comfortable with how this war played out. Uh, the treaty even obliged Venice to pay an indemnity on top of losing Cyprus, uh, and uh, they also lost some territory in Dalmatia. So uh, clearly, they came out the losers uh, in the in the final analysis. Uh, also on March 7th, 1799, Napoleon's army successfully captured the city of Jaffa, uh, whose site is part of modern-day Tel Aviv. After a very brief siege, the engagement is perhaps best known for Napoleon's decision to conduct a mass execution of the defeated Ottoman garrison, killing at least 2,000 and by some accounts more than uh, 4,000 men. Uh, he apparently hoped that his brutality... Uh, would encourage other cities along his march into Syria, which was his intention at the time, to surrender peacefully. Instead, it seems to have prompted the garrison in Napoleon's next target, Acre, uh, to visit, to resist, excuse me, more vigorously, uh, and Napoleon wound up failing to take Acre and had to return to Egypt and then quickly gave up on his eastern expedition uh, and made his way back to France for bigger and better things. Uh, on to the news. Uh, the United States, the United Nations General Assembly, rather, uh, announced on Tuesday that three countries, Gabon, Lebanon, and South Sudan, have paid enough of their back UN dues to have their UN General Assembly voting rights restored. Venezuela is now the only UN member still prevented from casting a vote in that body. Uh, the Comoros, Sao Tome and Principe and Somalia are all deep enough in arrears with their dues that their voting rights could be suspended, but the Assembly waived those suspensions back in October due to extenuating circumstances. 
in the Middle East, in Syria. The Israeli missile strike, which we mentioned in yesterday's newsletter, that shut down Syria's Aleppo International Airport early Tuesday also killed at least three people, according to the Syrian Observatory for Human Rights, which identified one of them as a, quote, Syrian officer, end quote. Uh, The Syrian government is also saying it's had to divert flights carrying humanitarian relief for earthquake victims in northern Syria away from Aleppo to airports at Damascus and Latakia, a much less convenient location for that sort of delivery. It's unclear when the Aleppo airport might be able to reopen. In Turkey, the People's Democratic Party, or HDP, is apparently leaving open the possibility of endorsing joint opposition presidential candidate Kemal Kılıçdaroğlu uh, instead of fielding its own candidate in May's election. HDP is the largest Turkish opposition party that is not in the six-party coalition that announced Kılıçdaroğlu as its nominee on Monday. A couple of smaller Turkish left-wing parties have also suggested they could back Kılıçdaroğlu in May, with the goal of winning a first-round outright victory over incumbent Recep Tayyip Erdogan. Uh, Their support, and particularly HDP's support, could wind up being a double-edged sword. Uh, HDP has a large base, but it is predominantly Kurdish and left-wing, and its endorsement could have the effect of turning off conservative and or Turkish nationalist voters. Uh, Both of those blocks are going to break for Erdogan anyway, don't get me wrong, but Kilic chances of winning may rest on his ability to appeal to a large enough segment of those voters and peel them uh, away from the incumbent. Uh, In Israel-Palestine, Israeli security forces killed at least six people and wounded 11 more in another West Bank arrest raid on Tuesday, this time in a refugee camp in Jenin. The target apparently was the suspect in the murder of two Israeli settlers in the town of Hawara last month. Uh, That incident prompted a mob of settlers to rampage through that town. Uh, The the suspect uh, was one of the six people uh, who were killed. Uh, The Israeli forces apparently used rockets during the raid, exhibiting an inspiring level of concern for potential uh, civilian casualties. Uh, Israeli forces have killed at least 68 Palestinians this year. Speaking of Huara, another settler mob descended on the town late Monday to, I guess, celebrate the Purim holiday. Uh, At least five Palestinians had to be hospitalized due to the ensuing violence. While the perpetrators apparently had a good time dancing, there are videos of this apparently circulating online with Israeli security personnel who were supposed to be stopping them from rampaging. Uh, settlers Settlers have killed at least five Palestinians so far this year. Uh, in Qatar, Qatari Emir, Emir Sheikh Tamim bin Hamad Al Thani uh, replaced his Prime Minister slash Interior Minister Sheikh Khalid bin Khalifa Al Thani uh, on Tuesday, naming Mohammed bin Abdurrahman Al Thani as PM uh, and Khalifa bin Hamad Al Thani. It's a lot of Al Thani's, I know. It's a big family uh, as Interior Minister. Uh, Mohammed uh, had previously served as foreign minister, and as far as I know, he still holds that post, though a replacement may be announced soon. Uh, I don't think there's anything to read into this shakeup apart from promoting younger uh, officials who may have closer ties to Tamim than the 55-ish-year-old Khalid. Uh, In Iran, Iranian authorities uh, have apparently made a number of arrests in connection with the spate of illnesses that has impacted scores of Iranian schools, primarily girls' schools in recent weeks. Uh, This seems to indicate that those illnesses were, in fact, caused by some sort of poison. Uh, More than 5,000 students are believed to have been affected. There's no indication yet 
as to motive uh, or even as to the toxin that is apparently being used in these attacks. On to Asia and Azerbaijan. A new investigation from the Israeli uh, outlet Haaretz reveals the extent of Israel's arms relationship with Azerbaijan. I'll read you a couple of paragraphs from their story. An investigation by Haaretz based on publicly available aviation data reveals that over the past seven years, 92 cargo flights flown by Azerbaijani Silkway Airlines have landed at the Ovda Air Base, the only airfield in Israel through which explosives may be flown into and out of the country. Israel has had a strategic alliance with Azerbaijan for the past two decades, and Israel sells the large Shiite-majority country weapons worth billions of dollars, and in return, Azerbaijan, per sources, supplies Israel with oil and access to Iran. According to foreign media reports, Azerbaijan has allowed the Mossad to set up a forward branch to monitor what is happening in Iran, Azerbaijan's neighbor to the south, and has even prepared an airfield intended to aid Israel in case it decides to attack Iranian nuclear sites. Reports from two years ago stated that the Mossad agents who stole the Iranian nuclear archive smuggled it to Israel via Azerbaijan. According to official reports from Azerbaijan, over the years, Israel has sold it the most advanced weapon systems, including ballistic missiles, air defense, and electronic warfare systems, kamikaze drones, and more. Uh, in Sri Lanka, President Ranil Vikramasinghe told Parliament on Tuesday that the Chinese government has agreed to restructure some $2.9 billion in Sri Lankan debt, which should clear the last hurdle uh, for the government to secure an international monetary fund bailout. Sri Lankan officials have already met IMF austerity demands, but debt restructuring has remained elusive, and China was the country's last major creditor in that regard. Uh, the Sri Lankan rupee ticked up in value on Tuesday in anticipation of an IMF deal which could materialize later this month. In Taiwan, U.S. House Speaker Kevin McCarthy will apparently not attempt a repeat of his predecessor Nancy Pelosi's trip, trip to Taiwan. Uh, instead, Taiwanese President Tsai Ing-wen is going to visit him in the U.S., Pelosi's trip last August, you may remember, drew a harsh economic and military response from Beijing, and one assumes the Taiwanese government would prefer to avoid a repeat. Uh, McCarthy could, of course, visit Taiwan sometime after Tsai's visit, but that would risk blowback from China and would also force the Taiwanese president to spend time with Kevin McCarthy on two occasions when I'm quite certain that one uh, would be more than enough uh, for just about anyone. Uh, in Africa and Sudan, the commander of Sudan's Rapid uh, Support Forces paramilitary unit and deputy head of the country's ruling junta, Mohamed Hamdan Dagalo, criticized his fellow junta leaders in a speech to RSF fighters on Tuesday for refusing to step aside and turn power over to a civilian transitional government per the agreement the junta reached with the civilian opposition back in December. Dagalo, a war criminal, allegedly, whose RSF was allegedly responsible for some of the worst atrocities of the Darfur conflict, might seem like an odd guy to be championing the virtues of lawful civilian government, but, uh, well, actually, that is kind of odd. I don't really have a way to end that sentence. Uh, I suspect he's trying to position himself for a full shift into politics if slash when the tr transition is finally over, uh, but maybe that's just me being cynical. Uh, in Mali, uh, there's a piece of foreign policy from James Courtright of the Institute of Current World Affairs arguing that violence toward West African Fulani communities is fueling jihadist violence. Uh, let me read you just a couple of... Uh, paragraphs here. On the morning of December 30th, uh, 2022, uh, 
members of a government-supported militia went house to house killing dozens of civilians in the small town of Nuna in northwest Burkina Faso. According to witnesses interviewed by Amnesty International, the militia specifically targeted men from the Fulani ethnic group. Although the government announced 28 people were killed, witnesses say they buried more than 80 corpses after the militia dispersed. Across central Mali and Burkina Faso, national militaries, their new foreign partners, and local ethnic militias are again committing mass atrocities against Fulani civilians in the name of the fight against jihadis. According to data from the Armed Conflict Location and Event Data Project, more than half of the civilians killed by the military or ethnic militias in Burkina Faso and Mali last year were Fulani, despite the fact that they make up around 10% and 14% of each country, respectively. The, this rise in killings of Fulani citizens comes amid a renewed government offensive in central Mali, expansion of civilian auxiliaries in Burkina Faso, and the exit of French troops from both countries. The targeting of Fulani communities based on the canard that they all support jihadi insurgents is perpetuating the conflict, facilita- facilitating jihadi recruitment of Fulani, and risks spreading the violence into vulnerable southern states. In Somalia, uh, Ash-Shabaab fighters reportedly recaptured a military base in southern Somalia's Jubaland region on Tuesday after losing control of the facility back in January. There is no indication as to casualties, and the Somali military may attempt to retake the base so the fighting might not be over yet. Uh, Elsewhere, some 98,000 people are estimated to have fled recent fighting in Somaliland, the the breakaway Somaliland region, uh, into southeastern Ethiopia, uh, according to both the UN and Ethiopian NGOs. Uh, This is a relatively undeveloped part of Ethiopia, and the suddenness uh, of the refugee influx has clearly overwhelmed the capacity to care for them, particularly given the severe drought that's been afflicted the region. Uh, in the Democratic Republic of the Congo, there have been reports of new fighting between Congolese security forces and M23 militia fighters in North Kivu province, even as a new attempt at a ceasefire was set to begin at midday on Tuesday. The clashes began on Monday evening after what AFP describes as, quote, several days of relative calm, end quote. There have been casualties, but no specific casualty figures appear to be available. Uh, Militia fighters did reportedly seize a village called Karuba that is just 30 kilometers west of the provincial capital, Goma. In Europe, uh, in Belarus, Belarusian President Alexander Lukashenko confirmed on Tuesday that a Russian early warning and control aircraft was indeed damaged by saboteurs at Belarus's uh, Machulishchi Air Base last month. We covered that in the newsletter. Uh, according to Lukashenko, the, place was not, uh, the plane was not seriously damaged, and 21 people have since been arrested in connection with the incident. Belarusian authorities are alleging that their main suspect is tied to Ukrainian security services, which is a claim that the Ukrainian government has denied. In Ukraine, uh, according to the New York Times on Tuesday, new intelligence reviewed by U.S. analysts suggests that the bombing of the Nord Stream gas pipelines back in September was carried out by an unspecified pro-Ukrainian group. That is the verbiage right out of the Times piece. That's remarkably nonspecific. Uh, It seems that whatever this intelligence is, uh, it doesn't offer any further details about these alleged perpetrators, or at least no details that the U.S 
U.S. intelligence community is prepared to launder through the times. Uh, apparently, there's no evidence that the perpetrators acted at the behest of the Ukrainian government, uh, an allegation Ukrainian officials were at pains to deny on Tuesday, though it's possible uh, they were operating at the behest of and or with the cooperation of elements within the government and or Ukrainian security services. Uh, or, you know, maybe pro-Ukrainian group means the U.S. Second Fleet. Uh, your guess is as good as mine. Uh, I don't know what to make of this story or indeed of the bombing in general. Uh, Seymour Hirsch, of course, laid out famously uh, or infamously, depending on your perspective, an equally anonymously sourced account of the United States carrying out the bombing in a, in a piece at uh, Substack, at his Substack last month. And undoubtedly, this time story is the U.S. intelligence community's attempted answer to the fuss that's raised. Uh, at this point, I think the only thing you can know for certain is that the U.S. hasn't found any evidence that remotely implicates Russia, or else that would be the A1 headline in every major news, U.S. newspaper and breaking news on every cable news network. Uh, but this pro-Ukrainian group story has so many holes that it can't help but raise more questions than it answers. Are we supposed to believe that this group, with no ties to a government or military, at least no apparent ties, I guess, uh, was able to acquire hundreds of pounds of explosives and place them around the pipelines without being detected? Uh, doesn't it seem much more likely that they would have had to have had some institutional support along the way? Uh, even if we allow that it probably wouldn't have been mission impossible uh, to blow up these pipelines, I still don't think you could just grab 10 guys from the local Ukrainian-American club and expect them to be able to pull this operation off without help. Uh, elsewhere, the Times also reports uh, that uh, on the thinking, uh, possibly, behind Ukraine's decision not to withdraw from the embattled city of Bakhmut, uh, it may be uh, that the idea is not to wear down the Russian military uh, as a whole or in general, but specifically to exhaust the Wagner Group's manpower to prevent its fighters, many of them recruited from, I put recruited in quotes, from Russian prisons, uh, from being used in any more human wave style offenses in other parts of Ukraine. I'm not sure the logic here makes sense, particularly given that Russia still has a lot of prisoners it could throw into this conflict in similar fashion. But it could be a plausible explanation for uh, the Ukrainian government's decision to stick with what seems like a doomed defense of the city. Uh, and finally, in the Americas, in the United States, uh, the Quincy Institute's William Hartung has a piece in Forbes celebrating uh, the United States' status as the world's leading arms dealer. By the way, congratulations to, to everyone involved in that, and, and you're welcome to the rest of the world uh, for providing you with such high-quality weapons. Uh, I'll read you a couple of paragraphs here, the first couple of paragraphs of his piece. The Stockholm International Peace Research Institute came out with its annual analysis of the global arms trade this week, and as usual, the United States was the number one weapons exporter by a large margin. For the five years from 2017 to 2021, the U.S. accounted for 39% of major arms deliveries worldwide, over twice what Russia transferred, and nearly 10 times what China sent to its weapons clients. In addition, the U.S. had far more customers, 103 nations, or more than half of the member states of the United Nations. Uh, the rapid arming of Ukraine to defend itself against Russia's invasion has put weapons transfers squarely in the public eye, but few Americans know how extensive of the U.S. trade is or that their government is intimately involved in it, either through foreign military sales deals brokered by the Pentagon or direct commercial sales licensed by the State Department. In essence, the U.S. government is the world's largest arms dealer with all the responsibility that that entails. 
the Center for Civilians in Conflict underscored this point in its January 2018 report, quote, uh, titled, uh, With Great Power, Modifying U.S. Arms Sales to Reduce Civilian Harm, which provided a series of practical recommendations on how to avoid situations in which U.S. arms, quote, fall into the wrong hands or become associated with corruption, human rights abuses, violations of the laws of war, and human suffering, end quote. Unfortunately, current U.S. policy continues to fall short by all of these measures. What a, a shock, truly, uh, to learn that. Uh, on that note, I want to thank all of you for listening to and or reading uh, the, tonight's newsletter. Uh, thanks to those of you who are foreign exchange subscribers, especially those of you who are paid foreign exchange subscribers who make this newsletter possible. Um, if you haven't made that jump yet, please consider it. Uh, it's, uh, again, uh, sort of the only way I can keep doing this work. So I uh, would be greatly appreciated. Uh, until next time, as always, take care, and I'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye.